Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Isaiah chapter 65, and I will begin reading there with verse 8. I'm just going to read the one verse of Scripture, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servants' sake that I may not destroy them all. I want to read that one more time. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. And there is a phrase there that I want to use as a subject for tonight. Found in the cluster found in the cluster. Several years ago, I ministered from this particular subject, and uh, maybe it was a little different then, because, of course, the circumstances were different, and I was praying, preparing for this week, and what the Lord would have us to say, and I felt this really on my heart. The Lord uh, prompted this scripture back to my spirit. And uh, I don't even know where the notes are or the outline is that I used before, but developed something entirely new. But I want to use that phrase in the Scripture again to entitle this message, Found in the Cluster. To truly understand the magnitude and power of this passage in the book of Isaiah, you must grasp the context of the words in which it is written in chapter 65. God is sorely displeased with Israel. If you read any of the preceding verses of Scripture and maybe even the preceding chapter, it's easy to detect that. He points to how many times he has tried uh, to reach them. He's tried to save them, salvage them, if you will. Did his best to maintain a relationship with Israel. He did his very best to try to help them and lead them into a deeper relationship with him. But it seems the more that he does, the more that they are adrift and the more they grow distant from him. Even with all of the advantages that he could afford them, they still do not take advantages of the things that God has blessed them with. Have you ever known someone that it seems like in all spiritual respects they were just born into advantages and they were blessed to have a good family? They were blessed to have all the benefits of a home that were filled with people that would be a good example and live for the Lord before them, pray for them and encourage them in their walk with God, belong to a good church and had a good pastor and good support system, yet 
with all of these advantages, for whatever reason, they never found it in their heart to truly live for God and serve the Lord. And what a tragedy it is that people can have all of these advantages. They can have all of these benefits. And yet you would see somebody else that maybe they don't have a family that supports them. Maybe they don't have a mother or father or even a grandmother or grandfather that serves the Lord. Perhaps they're the only one in their family that walks with God. Yet through all of those challenges, through all of those things that seem to be opposing them, throughout the opposition in their life, they maintain a relationship with God and they continue to be faithful to the Lord. And I admire that kind of diligence. But Israel was, was a nation that God had given them advantages. He said, I've spread out my hands all the day. In other words, I've given you opportunity. I've, I've done my best to try to give you a leg up. And he lists some things that Israel has participated in that has violated the laws of God. In these preceding verses to our text, he said, you walketh in the way that is not good. After your own thoughts, and you provoke me to anger, you sacrifice in the gardens, and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which is among graves, and lodge in the monuments. In other words, you're worshiping all the wrong things, and you're worshiping in the wrong places. Isn't this so typical of so many in America today? There's worship that is going forth, but it's worship of the wrong things. It's worship of self. It's worship of idols of this world. It's worship of celebrities and sports figures and the powerful and the elite of the world instead of worship of God. And it's worship in the wrong places. Worship belongs to God. And we are to come to God's house. And when we arrive here, we're to worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and strength, the Bible tells us. And then also, he says, you abuse the dietary laws. And you commit sacrilege with the holy vessels that are meant to be used for specific purposes in the house of God. And you do all of this unashamedly. You do all of this with a brashness and with a lack of embarrassment about it. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good thing uh, to be able to blush. It's a good thing to be able to be embarrassed because of sin. It's a good thing to have a consciousness about you. And, and when you make a mistake, be able uh, to have a part of you that is stricken and convicted because of it and in a good way be ashamed of your behavior because that is what would lead you to repentance and being sorry for it. But these people were brash. These people were headstrong. These were people that right in the face of God could commit their sin and not even be ashamed about it. In verse 5, he says, It's like smoke in my nose. I don't know if you've ever had an occasion to go out camping and 
be around the campfire and somebody builds up the fire and maybe the wood's a little bit wet and the smoke begins to rise and invariably it'll find wherever you're sitting. And maybe you're sitting on a stump or a log somewhere enjoying the warmth of the fire and that's all you really want to do. You want to roast your marshmallows and have your s'mores and fellowship with the others that are gathered there and invariably that smoke will start blowing in your face. It's the most annoying thing ever. It's the most uh, uh, annoying thing that can happen to you. It can ruin an almost perfect experience. And so invariably you, you position yourself at another place around the fire and just about that time the wind shifts and the smoke finds you again. It seems like some people, they just attract that. If smoke is going to blow in their face, and it's an annoying thing. And God said, if you've ever had that experience, you know how I feel. It's like smoke in my nostrils. It is, uh, it is like smoke in my face. It annoys me. And uh, it is something that is uncomfortable for me. God is basically saying these people have become an annoyance to me. And just when you think God is getting ready to lower the boom, just when you think judgment is imminent, just when you think that God is not going to put up with any more, I mean there's a litany of things that he, he brings out and he talks about here in the first seven verses of chapter 65. But even in his displeasure, when we get to verse 8, you see that the focus shifts. You see there is a shift in the attitude of the Lord. And God extends mercy to these people that have brought him so much displeasure up until this point. I think that's important to note about our God. That even in judgment, even when we deserve judgment, even when it seems that God should come with all harshness and judge the behavior and the seeming disregard for His Word, His law, that the Lord, even in the Old Testament before grace, even in the Old Testament before this was common, the Lord extends mercy to them. And he uses the example of a cluster of grapes here. He said, And the Lord saith, As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. In other words, he's saying there is a collective value here because of those that are still found connected to the vine, those that have not been shaken loose from the cluster, those that have stayed together with the rest of the grapes and have not been separated, though they may be bruised. He's acknowledging that, that these are far from perfect. He's acknowledging that they're unattractive. He's telling them that there are some that are impaired, there's some that is damaged. There's some that are scarred. But they retain their value because they remain attached to the cluster. In other words, they're staying connected to the vine. 
that is reminiscent to me of what Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse, verse 5. He said, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, I want you to always remember this, he is saying, Without me, ye can do nothing. We live in a world that boasts in self-sufficiency. We live in a world that is always talking about self-reliance. In fact, I was in a bookstore just a few days ago, and there was a whole section that was devoted to self-help. And there's seminars. There's people that you can go and listen to, and they'll teach about this very subject, about pulling yourself up and making a way for yourself, and how you can do it alone. But you and I know that we can do nothing without the Lord. We cannot walk without Him. We cannot be faithful, and we cannot be victorious in this life without Him. We have no strength but what He gives us. We have no power but what He allows in our life. We have no ability to overcome but what He gives us strength to do so. It's by His grace that we're here. And it's His grace that is sufficient to carry us all the way through until finally we hear Him say someday, Thy good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. I'm looking forward to that and I am believing and trusting in God's grace to get me there. We're nothing without the Lord. He said, Your fruitfulness... Your value is through staying connected. You abide in me, and I'll abide in you. And you'll receive the grace that you need when you need it. You'll receive the strength that you need when you need it. You'll receive direction and help and guidance and encouragement when you need it by staying connected to the vine. And he used this illustration of a cluster of grapes. I brought some uh, with me here tonight. And I know that this is just a crude example, but you do understand that the grapes that he's speaking about in this text are different than the ones that I hold in my hand. These are table grapes. These are grapes that are used to be eaten one at a time, to snack on, or uh, to be in addition to our meal or breakfast in the morning. But the grapes that he is referring to are grapes that produce wine. And these grapes are not made for, are not created for table decoration. These are not the type of grapes that you would put on the centerpiece of your breakfast table at home. And these are not the type of grapes that you would look at and that you would grow hungry for. Matter of fact, many times they're very crude in their appearance. And even the dust of the vineyard has collected on them. And they're many times showing bruises and scars and maybe even uh, a little withered and, and maybe in their appearance are not that lush and not that attractive. Nevertheless, they are harvested at a specific time. And if you've studied anything about this, you understand that grapes have to be, and it's very important that they are, 
harvested at a specific time. You take them too early and they lose their value. And the wine that is produced is not nearly as expensive and valuable as it would be if it had been at the right time. You take them too late and again they lose their value. There is a specific time. I've read about this and those that are uh, working in vineyards and have maybe generationally it's been passed on from generation to generation through their family they can tell when that specific time of the year and what the weather and the conditions need to be like in order for them to harvest the grapes and they give the signal and they know that there is a certain season or period of time that they are able to do this, to bring the grapes in and to harvest them, and they must work in haste to do it. And so they very diligently work through that period of time to get as many of the grapes harvested because, again, it is time-sensitive, and it's very important. There are some grapes that are not going to make it. They're going to lose out in transition from the the vineyard to the marketplace. And there's a process in between of cleaning these grapes and taking them to the winery and then them being bottled, of course, in their liquid form and being taken to the marketplace. Between that time when they are harvested out on the vine until they make it to their final destination, there are several of them that are going to lose out. In fact, even these table grapes, not all of them that were a part of this cluster, no doubt made it to this platform tonight. Not all of them were able to make the transition from the vineyard to this church house. There's a lot of things that have to occur. They have to be cut from the vine. Then they're stacked on some kind of of transportation, a truck, or maybe a tractor with a trailer behind it. And then they're taken to another area and maybe loaded onto a bigger truck. And the weight of all of them together pressing down upon one another. Uh, there's no doubt some of them that fall to the ground or fall to the bottom of the bin that they're being transported in. And they never make it to the winery. And then there's some that are spilt out on the floor of the winery as the workers transfer them from the bin into the place, the vat, where they're going to be pressed and eventually made into wine. And so you understand that just because they began on the cluster does not mean that they will stay with the cluster. But there are those that stay attached. There are those that make the transition. And while there's bumps and there's twists and there's turns and there's bruises that are inflicted and there's even scars that are inflicted upon the cluster of grapes. And certain grapes are even damaged, but they're still attached. I was reading about this and I found that there are some grapes that just for no reason at all, prematurely they fall off of the vine. And I was reading a blog about this and and there was this experienced vine dresser that was telling someone that was not as experienced about how uh, that this could happen and the reasons for it and they gave three reasons they said number one uh, 
is that there might be too much of one nutrient, and they listed the nutrient as nitrogen. And this could cause this, this grape to fall from the cluster onto the ground and uh, never make it to be any benefit to people or to be consumed by anybody. In other words, the reason and the purpose is lost and it falls to the ground and it perishes and dries up there and never becomes wine. It never is offered as refreshment to anybody. And uh, the reason of, of this is because of too much of this one element. What I want to tell you, in this world that we're living in, uh, the Bible instructs us to not be overcharged with surfeiting. There are certain things that we cannot allow in our lives to overcome us. We can't have too much of it. I'm going to tell you, you better learn early on how to deal with the burdens of life because if you allow them to accumulate and you don't learn how to unload them in a place of prayer, they will overcome you and you'll lose out somewhere in the midst of it all. And the value that you could have had will be lost. It's important that you learn how to unpack the burdens of life. Cast your cares upon Him because He careth for you, the Bible says. And then they went on to explain that another reason for premature separation from the vine or the grape falling to the ground is because of the lack of, the lack of certain elements. Too much of certain elements and also the lack of other elements. Certain nutrients it never was able to receive. And it caused there to be a disconnection. It caused it to fall to the ground and to perish and never see its full benefit and value realized. Can I tell you that can happen in a saint of God's life. If we're not able to receive the engrafted word of God, if we're not able to receive, if we don't have spiritually, as it were, a connection with the Lord that we've built through prayer, a pipeline, if you want to say it that way, that we've constructed through our dedication and our consecration to God. If we've not stayed spiritually connected so that we can receive uh, the things that we need to receive as far as direction, this life is filled with all kinds of things that come against us and that require us to be able to be influenced by the Spirit in the decisions and the choices that we're faced with. We cannot afford just to go upon our own intellect and to make decisions by our own knowledge. We need the help of the Lord. So we must be able to receive from the Word of God. We must be able to receive strength and renewing of our minds as I preached this morning from the Spirit of God. That connection needs to be there. and We've got to do whatever necessary to make sure that connection is secure. But for whatever reason, there's people that never receive those things. I'm going to tell you, spiritually, you have to receive what I would call spiritual nutrients. That is where your strength is. That is where you're spiritually uh, receiving the nutrition that you need, not only from the Word of God, but times and seasons of prayer where you really get connected with Him. 
and you get into a spirit of prayer where the Lord is transmitting things into your spirit. That's what prayer is all about. It's not just coming and, and just superficially going through the motions and, and just uh, praying for a little while just to soothe our conscience. But we need to pray until we really make a connection with the Spirit and get plugged in in the Holy Ghost so that the Lord could download, as it were, things into our spirit. We're just like... Uh, some of these electronics that needs an update because the enemy is out there creating and devising, the Bible tells us, devising things to try to destroy and to take us down. But we have a God that is aware of them. He's never caught off guard. He has every spiritual update that we need if we can only plug in to the life source of the Spirit of God and receive it into our spirit. That's so very vital to us. That's important to us. Our fruitfulness and our value in the kingdom of God is through us being able to receive until the appropriate time, until the coming of the Lord. I've got to stay connected. I've got to stay in tune. Now, I'm not taking away from the individuality in this, but I want to tell you that God never designed this to be a Lone Ranger experience. He never designed this even from the very beginning for this just to be all about one person, that, that me and Jesus have our own thing going, and I don't need anybody else. You can talk about how that you're, you're strong by yourself and you're able to do it on your own. No, that's, that's not biblical. The Bible talks about staying in tune and connected to the church of the living God. God is not coming back necessarily just for individuals. He's coming back for a church. It's those that are in the church, that are connected to the church, that are a part of the cluster that is going to go up in the clouds of glory to meet Him in the air. And the Bible tells us from that point, we'll ever be with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that. I've got to stay connected. I've got to stay a part of the cluster. And then the third reason that this writer said that many of the grapes fall off the vine prematurely is because of dry soil, not the proper irrigation. Well, I couldn't help but think about the washing of the water of the Word of God. We've got to keep our spirit. We've got to keep our spirit. Uh, I don't know how else to say it, but we've got to let the water of the Word of God cleanse us and keep our spirits tender and we can never allow ourselves to become dry and parched and try to go long periods of time without the rain of the Holy Ghost falling down upon us it's important it's important that we absorb the Spirit of God at every given opportunity and the Bible tells me that the devil walketh in dry places it's there that he's seeking to destroy. It's there that he's looking for a place of habitation. It's there that he's looking for someone who, who's in a dry place that he can take advantage of. That's why you needed every opportunity to get out of the downpour of the Spirit of God and say, God, help me. Help me, Lord, to receive. Help me, Lord, to be strengthened. And help me, Lord, my spirit to be watered by the Word of the Lord. That's how I'm going to be able to stay a part of the cluster. But nevertheless, 
There's some that don't make it. There's some that lose out. There's some that are lost in transition. Life is about transitions. At times we have them. You can mark them. Even the maturity of age, there's transitions between uh, childhood and adolescence and adolescence and young adulthood and, and all of these things have their transitional periods and they have other kinds of temptations and there's other things that a person is susceptible to, things that a young person is susceptible to that maybe an older person is not so susceptible to. But the things that an older person may be susceptible to that a younger person is not. I give you an example. A younger person may have to struggle with certain things in this life because of the lewdness that is out there in this world. And then an older person may not struggle as much with that. But an older person that has lived a long time has to guard their spirit against becoming jaded. They have to guard their spirit against becoming bitter because of experiences that didn't go like they planned them to go or things and disappointments that come along in life that all of us have to overcome. Everybody's going to be faced with a challenge. Nobody's going to be inoculated from going through challenges in life. Everybody's going to face opposition, but we've got to stay connected through all the transitions of life and even maybe tragedies that occur in a person's life, the unexpected events in life. There's people that have to bury people uh, that they love way too young and prematurely. There's people that have to stand by the casket of a loved one and say goodbye to them way before it would seem that it would be the appointed time but there's folks uh, that stay even through all of that they stay in the church they stay connected to the body of Christ they stay connected to the rest of what God has placed in their lives and as a result they're able to not just survive but they're able to thrive and they're able to make it stay with the cluster he said for those that hold on for those that stay in this fight, he said, the blessing is in them. There's something to look forward to. It's not just about holding on until the end and then we can, we can give up our grip and we can just say, oh, breathe a sigh of relief. It's going to be much greater than that. This is going to end in a great crescendo. This is going to end with an eternal reward that is going to be far more than anything you can fathom or anything that you've heard or read about even in the Scripture. And, and you've tried to fathom it in your mind or imagine what it was going to be like. I'm going to tell you, heaven is going to be that and even more. It's going to be greater than anything that you've ever heard about, read about. It's going to be such a wonderful experience to know that I'm in the presence of the Lord. That every part of this race that I ran was worth it. Every decision that I made for God was worth it. Every choice that I made to serve Jesus Christ was worth it. The commitment, the convictions, the love that I had for God. That, that attitude that said nothing is going to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I kept the faith. It's going to be worth it. I stood the test of time. It's going to be worth it. I came through it all victorious it's going to be worth it it's all going to be he said the blessing is coming you know the devil 
it's his work, as I said this morning, as the musicians come, it's his work to try to divide. It's his work to bring separation. It's his work to try to get in between you and drive a wedge in between you and the church. You know, that's been one of my greatest concerns during these circumstances that we're in. Uh, again, I've stated that these are not optimal circumstances. We're just doing the best that we can, and I'm dependent on God to reach through uh, the technology lines and touch your heart. I'm, I'm dependent on God to do what I cannot do. And I know that it's not a whole lot different if even people are here, but there's something about when people are together, it is, is easier to make a connection and to preach and, and to get the Word of God communicated. But nevertheless, I believe that God is able to touch people that are sincere. I believe that people that are honest and open for God to move in their life, God will touch them. But one of my concerns because of this thing lingering as long as it has is that the devil is trying his very best. You know, a wedge, the way it is, it comes down to a sharp point. And, and, and you know, you can, you can find a little place and, and maybe with, with the right effort, a little prying, you can get that sharp edge in there. And begin, and it may start so small, but as you begin to drive that wedge down, it begins to bring separation. I've seen it over and over again. As uh, I was a young person, I would help my father split firewood, and uh, sometimes the the different types of wood were a little harder than the others. And uh, blackjack oak is about the hardest wood to try to split. And uh, many times, if you got a big mature log, uh, my father would run the chainsaw and depend on me to try to split it. And oftentimes, I'd have to call for his help. And even sometimes, we would have to take a small awl, is what we called it. It's really just a wedge. And we would take, and the back side of a splitting maul, we would take and drive that awl or that or that wedge into that log and begin to break it apart, to try to split it up because the log was too big to fit in the fireplace. A very difficult thing to pry apart, but if you ever got it started, you just kept at it. I'm going to tell you, the devil is persistent in this hour to try to separate people, to divide people. He's trying his best to divide the greatest nation that's ever been, the United States of America. He's trying his best to drive a wedge in. He's trying his best to divide and bust people apart. And don't ever feel as though that spirit doesn't try its best to find the way its way into the church. The same spirit that is out there is the same spirit that we're going to encounter in here. It may be a little bit better in here, but I'm going to tell you it's coming and we're going to be confronted with it and we're going to have to make up our minds. There's nothing going to divide us. There's nothing going to separate us. There's nothing that's going to dissolve our unity. There's no spirit of discord that's going to come in our midst. We're not going to allow these things to enter in to the church of the living God. But it's the devil's work to try to divide, try to separate, try to disconnect people, try to break people's lifeline with the church. We see this 
at the end of the Lord's ministry, even though he had explained to them what was going to come to pass, even though he told them there was going to be a Calvary, that he was going to be buried in a tomb, that he was going to rise in three days. When it finally became a reality, there was discouragement that set in even among his disciples. And some of them did not respond in the best way. Peter said, I'll go a fishing. And when they came and told Thomas, he said, well, I, I, I can't hardly believe it unless I touch him, unless I see and feel the nail scars and the, the scar in his side where he was pierced, and then I just don't know that I could believe. There were others that, that they were unsure. They were unsure about what the future was going to hold. But we understand that when he showed himself alive for those 40 days, according to his passion, the Bible says. The scripture tells us in the first chapter of the book of Acts that he gathered them up, some 500 of them, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 500 witnesses were there gathered together. And he begins to give him them his last will and testament. He tells them to go to the city of Jerusalem and wait there. Don't leave there until you be endued with power from on high. You wait for the promise of the Father that I've been telling you about that is to come. And he said, I've got to go away. But he said, when I go away, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to leave you completely comfortless. There's something that's coming. It's the Spirit of God that's going to live on the inside of you. And it's going to dwell on the inside of you. It's going to be poured out right here in Jerusalem. Stay here until it happens. There was 500 of them that he spoke this to. But the Bible tells us that by the time that this occurred and they gathered together and spent that's 10 days, I don't know if even all of them made it to the upper room, but we know that there was 120 that were in that upper room when the day of Pentecost was fully come. And when the Spirit of the Lord was poured out upon them, the Bible says that there was initially 120 people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. All I can think about is I'm so thrilled about what happened on the day of Pentecost. I'm so excited about the 120 that received this initially and that it's still being poured out and promised to all of us. The Bible said, as many as the Lord our God shall call. But I can't help but think about 100 or 380 people that for whatever reason, they didn't stay with the cluster. For whatever reason, they were shaken from the vine. For whatever reason, they fell by the wayside. They perished. They were lost in transition. Something happened from the time that the Lord spoke those words to the time that the Spirit of God was poured out in the upper room and they lost out on that outpouring of the Holy Ghost. When that new wine came, they were not a part of that cluster of people, but they had been shaken loose. Can I tell you that new wine comes from the cluster. It may not be the most pretty. It may not be the most lush and attractive. There may be bruises. There may be scars. There may be wounds. There may be evidence 
of pain that is there. But as long as you stay a part of the cluster, there's a blessing that is coming. You, you may find yourself weak and you might even feel that you're withered in some areas of your life. There may be some areas that you're not necessarily proud of, but get back up and stay connected to the cluster because the blessing is found in the cluster. New wine is found in the cluster. There's a revival for those that stay connected. There's a blessing for those that stay connected. There is good things ahead and promises of God that are going to be fulfilled. Oh, yes, the Bible talks about a shaking that is coming to this world and everything that can be shaken will be shaken but make certain that you're not one of those that is shaken loose and falls by the wayside but you stay a part of the cluster stay connected to the church because that's where the promise is that's where the new wine is found the new wine is found in the cluster God bless you let's stay apart and stay connected to what God is doing in these last days. Wherever you are, I hope you'll receive this into your heart. I've felt it so strong this week that we need to stay a part of what God is doing and do our best to fight to stay connected with the church. God bless you.